Welcome to another episode of Permissionless. This is episode four, and I'm talking with John Doherty. I think you're really going to love this one because he's adapted to so many different living situations, so many different countries. He's a successful entrepreneur, and you know just the way that he goes about attacking things that he wants to take on and changes that he wants is really, really compelling. I actually recorded this a few months ago, and since then he's you know made some really big uh, life changes and he's taking on a whole new set of challenges. So his social information will be in the show notes if you're interested in following him. And as usual, if you enjoy our episodes, then subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, You can leave us a review if you feel so inclined and you can also stalk us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So without making you wait any longer, here is episode four. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Permissionless Podcast. I'm your host, Selena Vidya, and today I'm really excited to introduce you to a guest who's coming to us from San Francisco. John Doherty is an entrepreneur and has been a digital marketing consultant for many, many years. He's also the founder of Credo, which is a company to connect great companies with the right agency or marketing consultants for their needs. He's also formerly of Trulia Rentals, Hot Pads, and Distills, so he's been around the block in many different capacities. Hi, John. How are you? Doing well, Selena. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on as well. Um, are you guys experiencing the heat wave up there like we are down here in LA? We are. I'm sitting here in my apartment right in the middle of San Francisco, and it's. I actually just took my dog out to use the bathroom, and it's about – I'm wearing a, a long sleeve button-down shirt, and I instantaneously had to roll up my sleeves. I actually see a woman out of my window crossing the street carrying an umbrella because the sun is so bright. <laughs> so that tells you how it is. It's about it's about low to mid seventies and not a cloud in the sky. It's absolutely stunning right now. It sounds beautiful, but it's better than uh, the East Coast has their April snowstorm going on right oh, now. Yeah. So not I jealous at all. <laughs> and you and I being East Coast refugees, this is pretty fantastic. Right. I keep getting Snapchats and Facebook messages, and everybody's like, "Look at the snow." I'm like, "I don't want to look at it. Keep it out of here." <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I'd love to jump right in. Um, I know everybody's going to enjoy learning about your journey. So let's start with, um, you know, what have you kind of always wanted to do and what was your first job and how did you get into that? That's a great question. What I've always wanted to do, I don't think I ever really had something that I've always wanted to do. When I was young, I actually, my first, the first thing I really wanted to be as a career was a cardiologist, so a heart doctor. And I, started taking a bunch of science courses and such. And I was actually homeschooled until, until high school. And so we kind of partnered up with this other family of, of was five homeschooled boys. I'm one of three boys, so eight of us. And we would get like cow hearts and that sort of thing and dissect them. I pretty soon realized that that grossed me out. And I also did not <laughs> like science. I much preferred writing. So that was the first thing I wanted to be. I never wanted to be a marketer. I kind of fell into it. I didn't, I, I've never taken a business or a marketing class in my life. Uh, didn't take any at, at school. I got a C in statistics as, in school. Um, but I kind of, I kind of fell into marketing back in like 2009, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. Um, so I'll, I'll save it for then. But my first, so my first actual real job when I was 12 years old was cleaning horse stalls um, at a horse farm. I was taking riding lessons and got paid a dollar a stall. Um, to clean these, and these basically like paid for my riding lessons, and I, you know, I made a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. My first real job out of college was uh, I was working for a software company in the Washington D.C. area, just outside Washington D.C., as a technical support uh, manager for them. So 
I learned a, a lot of technical skills. I learned SQL and that sort of thing. I also learned a lot of the soft consulting skills there. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I worked there for about a year from mid 2008 to mid 2009. So that was my first real like salary job, but I've had, I've had jobs basically since I was 12 years old. I've worked at uh, ski slopes, worked at a ski shop, worked at my university bookstore, worked as a painter for a summer, and then worked at the largest gift shop in Alaska. I've, I've done a ton of, a ton of things. I love the cleaning horse stalls little tidbit because one of my first jobs, I think it was maybe my my second job. I don't really count the first one as a job, but I actually uh, worked at a racetrack and I was doing, I was cleaning horse stalls. I was checking temperatures. I was doing all that stuff. So it's really, it's nice to talk to somebody who kind of started in that area for a job. You don't really find many people like that. No, you really don't. Maybe there's a something here where if we're looking to hire great digital marketers, find people that are cleaning horse stalls right now and train them up. Right. How many stalls have you mucked in the past 20 years? <laughs> so you went from cleaning horse stalls, you had various jobs, you were a tech support manager for the software company. Did you end up going to college for a specific degree or did you just kind of roll right into the workforce? I did go to university. I went to James Madison University in Virginia, which is a public college, public university, where my father's actually worked there. Next year, it'll be 30 years. So I went there and I actually originally went there. I didn't want to go there until my senior year of, of, of high school. Um, I wanted to move out west and go somewhere I could ski more. But uh, JMU had the program that I thought I wanted to do, which is called media, uh, media Arts and Design. So I'd done a lot of video work in um, high school and helped produce the yearbook and such and wanted to go into basically like video creation, become like a video producer. Um, so I went there for that. I lived on campus and, and all that. So I didn't, I didn't live at home. I wasn't a quote unquote townie as people um, from the town who went to, went to JMU were called. Mm-hmm. But um, I actually didn't get into the program. So my, my freshman year, we had to take, everyone wanted to get into SMAD, had to take this class where it was 8 a.m., Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It was on the opposite side of campus from my dorm. And if you missed more than two classes, they took role at this class. It was 300 people and they took role every single time. Wow. And uh, if you missed more than two classes, you automatically failed. So I hustled. I worked so hard. I'm not a morning person, but I'd get up, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, be at class on time across campus, ride my bike or whatever, um, get there. You know, this was like January, February. And uh, and I had like, a, it's a super hard class and I had a B solid B, maybe a B minus. It was like 82, 83, something like that out of a hundred point scale mm-hmm. going into spring break. And they then gave us this like assessment and that determined whether you got in or not. It was just kind of a black box. And I found out on spring break that I didn't get in and basically was like, screw this. I don't want to be in this anyways. It's kind of a little bit vindictive there <laughs> and uh, ended up with a D plus in the class. Mm-hmm. But uh, my, my father uh, knew that he knew that I didn't get in and he basically sent me this course. There's a new super tiny major at my school. It's called technical and scientific communication, basically technical writing. And I learned how to write proposals and uh, press releases and uh, software documentation and all that sort of thing. Um, And he just told me to take the intro class and I took it and I loved it. Um, I've always been a writer. I'm one of these, I have three novel drafts sitting somewhere on random hard drives that I'll never finish, but like I love writing. And, uh, and they also had a web development concentration that I ended up doing. And that's kind of how I got into the whole online uh, internet world that became digital marketing for me. 
Yeah. And I love it because you, you know, you had kind of an idea of where you wanted to go and what you wanted to do. And then, you know, things didn't go as expected. You hit a little roadblock, but then you took a chance on the technical and scientific communication. I think you said it was. Right. And it's just funny how everything ties into what we end up doing later in life. Even at the time, we're like, what the F? Like, why, you know, what is going on with my path at the moment? Definitely. And now I'm even back to doing for my business, I'm doing some um, subscriber only uh, training videos. So I'm back to doing video stuff, which is awesome. Uh, <laughs> it just, you, you just never know what's going to happen, you know, because we're uh, 12, 13 years on now from when I, uh, when I didn't get into that major and I'm still doing that stuff. Yeah. It seems like everything comes full circle. Uh, so after this, what was your next step? After college? Yes. So after college, my next step was to uh, not take a full-time job and I moved back to Switzerland. So I had taken a semester off during college and went and lived in this um, evangelical Christian hippie community in Switzerland. Uh, It's like a work-study program. And I lived there for three months in uh, winter of 2006, January through April, and uh, decided to go back after I graduated. So I went back. um, I was actually in the air for New Year's going into 2008, 2007 and 2008. I graduated December 15th and 16 days later, I was back on a plane back to Europe. Stayed there until mid-July. And basically in, in April, May of that year, I was offered a job with the software company that I'd interned for a year before, um, the, the summer before. And they offered me a job and were basically like, let us know when you're coming back and we'll send you your offer. And so they did. I let them know I was coming back. Um, end of July and they sent me my offer to start August 15th. Uh, so I, I accepted it and I came back to the States and, uh, it was a month later that the economy cratered, like absolutely, you know, the recession hit and, uh, our company was just growing like gangbusters. So, you know, I, I had no money, right. I had just graduated college. I'd just been living in, in Europe, super cheap. I had no money saved, so I didn't lose anything, but also the size of our company doubled over the next year. So like, I didn't lose my job or anything like that. Um, and it all just, it all just kind of worked out. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to touch back a little on, cause you just casually threw in initially the whole Switzerland move. Um, and then you touched on a little bit. So what was it like, you know, spending a summer or, um, the time period abroad that you did and then coming back and then going again and, you know, getting acclimated to the people in the village and, you know, the language and just cultural differences altogether. Totally. It was definitely a growing up experience. Let's put it that way. I, so I speak really good French. I've been taking French since I was young, probably 10 years old. So I, I've been basically fluent in French off and on. It's a little, little, a little rough right now, but, um, so moving over wasn't too bad in the community I lived in is, is English speaking is actually a lot of Americans. So that wasn't so bad, but just getting used to kind of the, the slower European, um, pace of life was it took a little bit of adjusting, but I actually found out that that's the pace of life that I personally love. So, um, yeah, but the, you know, the moving back and forth from, you know, graduated college in Virginia and moved back to Switzerland, moved back to Northern Virginia. Um, and then after that, I moved back to Switzerland for a year and then moved to Philadelphia. Like all of those, what all that has taught me is really how to be, um, uh, not necessarily agile. I don't think that's the right word, but basically to roll with the punches. Um, mm-hmm. and, and learn to learn to adjust really, really well and get to know new places and basically feel at home uh, at home anywhere. Um, but yeah, so, so getting used to getting used to Europe was um, uh, it was it was a little bit a little bit of a curve, you know, and obviously you miss 
you know, your friends and your family. And um, I think it would have been a lot more frustrating had I moved to, say, Germany, where I don't speak a word of German, right? And I wouldn't have been able to, to get around and, you know, I, I, I'd have no clue where to, you know, where to go or, or what to do. Um, but moving to a country that I speak the language, um, and most of them there speak English as well, uh, actually made it a fairly easy transition for me. Gotcha. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who are not necessarily afraid to travel, but they just don't grow up traveling. So, you know, they stay in the same city or the same area or the same state. And I feel like when you travel that much, it, like, did you seem, um, you know, dealing with various types of people and understanding different cultures helped you later in life uh, as you moved into more of the consulting side of things? Or do you feel like, um, you know, people are missing out by not having that experience? Uh, both of those. I absolutely think that people miss out by not having the experience of, uh, of traveling, though there are a lot of people that are just very happy, you know, staying in their hometown and living no more than 10 miles from mom and dad. And, you know, I, I, I do see the value of that, especially as I get a little bit older and, you know, I'm married and, you know, my, my in-laws live in Texas and my my parents live in Virginia and, you know, my wife and I are here in California and plan to stay on the West coast. And, you know, I do see the value of that, but, it's definitely helped me out. Um, and especially living in the community where I live, because there are so many different types of people, super conservative, you know, 18 year olds, all the way to, you know, super liberal recovering alcoholics, you know, I, I the gamut as my roommates. And so just learn to love and appreciate people and accept them for where they are and who they are. Um, and that's, that's really helped me out with, you know, with consulting and, you know, the, the internet marketing world is a, we're a bunch of misfits. Um, you know, so you kind of have to accept, you know, people for, for who they are, um, and where they are. And I think that served me really well. And then the whole traveling thing. Yeah, totally. I've been able to connect with a lot of people that live, that live over in Europe and, you know, just because of my experience living over there and they're like, Oh, you understand how it is living in Europe. It's not like America. I'm like, Nope, I completely, completely (laughs) get it. So, uh, yeah, that's been, that I'd, I'd say that's been fantastic for my career though. It hasn't yet helped me get overseas speaking gigs, except I have one coming up this year, but that's the first one I've ever, I've ever had. Um, so that's, maybe that's something I need to work on. Oh, hopefully the title turn with that, uh, one that you have coming up though. That's exciting. Nice. Yeah. It'd be fun. It's in, it's in Istanbul in October. So that'll be, that'll be super fun. Oh, great. Yeah. And I love how, um, I, I actually had somebody else reference our crazy group as misfits. Um, and it's true. There's so many different people. We do so many different things and we're just like a fun bunch of misfits. I love it. Yeah. So, okay. You came back and you had the job at the software uh, company. You came back to that. What happened um, in that time period and when you ended up moving on from that? Yeah. So that was an interesting time period in my life because I was 24. I just turned 24. So 24 to 25, living in the suburbs of Northern Virginia, uh, working for this company, right. And I was making compared to a lot of my friends, I was making good money. Um, you know, it's still like a great salary for anywhere, not New York or San Francisco. And, uh, you know, by all intents and purposes and from, you know, all all appearances, I was doing really well, right. I bought a sports car and you know, all that. I lived in a a condo or like a townhouse. I had three roommates, right. And, And didn't really, didn't really mind it, but I didn't like the area and I didn't like the lifestyle and I didn't want to see myself, you know, getting stuck there, you know, 45 year olds with two and a half kids and a white picket fence and a McMansion. And just like, I, I didn't see myself being happy with that. And so I, I kind of started thinking about, you know, what's next. And uh, I connected with, um, his name is Ralph. He ended, he's the founder of the publishing company that I ended up working with for a year in Switzerland. I connected with him a couple of years uh, before when I was there and we kind of kept in touch. 
And um, I emailed him and just kind of floated floated the idea. And he's like, "Huh, interesting. We should talk about that." And and then in January of no December of 2009, I just was. This is only four months into my job. I just wasn't super happy, and I had been starting to to read Tim Ferriss's The Four Hour Work Week, and that basically blew up my life. Where I was like, "Wow, this is that's actually what I really want to do. You know, have that sort of thing be, you know, a bit more location independent. Um, you know, mini retirement sound awesome. Being able to take a month off or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being able to outsource the work that that I'm not good at that I shouldn't be spending my time on, so I can focus on the stuff that I am good at. Um, and then in the middle of reading that, um, I actually watched. Um, oh shoot, what's the name? Oh, Office Space." I watched Office Space and was like, it was a Sunday, and literally the day, the Friday before, my boss had come over to my cubicle and asked me to work on Saturday. And then I saw that scene of Bloomberg asking Peter to work. He's like, mm, yeah, I'm going to need you to come in on Saturday. <laughs> I was like, holy crap, that's my life. <laughs> I was like, this is terrible. Um, and so I kind of set the wheels in motion then, and three to – I don't know. It was, it was probably four to eight weeks later, um, beginning of February or so. I had made the commitment to go back to Switzerland that following um, August. So uh, yeah, and then I, you know, I, I finished out my job there in DC and um, moved out the last day of July of that year. And two weeks later, I was on my way back to Switzerland. Awesome. And just for anybody listening, the Four Hour Work Week, which is a book that he had mentioned, that'll be in the show notes for you to check out after. It's an amazing book, and I know so many people who swear by that. Um, so did you have a job lined up in Switzerland when you went back? I don't recall if you had mentioned that or not. So I went back to, I was living back at that community, um, where Mm -hmm. I had lived before and was there involved in the community. It was awesome because I, you know, they fed me and and everything like that. But my, my job was, um, everyone there at the community kind of has a, has a job. Students are helping out with just day-to-day stuff around the community. Um, and then there's another level called helpers who are basically leading those work crews. So I was what was called a helper. But my job was to work with Ralph on this publishing company that was publishing books written by the staff of the community. So uh, I, I built them a new website and was doing some like content marketing, some basic like, yeah, blogging and that sort of thing. I think I actually built the site on the Joomla platform, um, which I just found out the other day is still in use and people are still developing on it. And I have no idea why. But yeah, so I had, I had that. I didn't, so I didn't get paid. Uh, basically I got paid in room and board. So I got to, I got to live there in Switzerland for free at the community and they took care of my, you know, my living expenses and stuff. I had saved some money, um, while I was working, um, in the, in the Washington DC area. So I did have, you know, I wasn't destitute. Um, I did have, um, I did have money, but yeah, my, my job was working on this publishing company. I did everything from, I was editing manuscripts. I was signing on new authors. I was designing book covers. I was working with Amazon to get, you know, get books on there and Kindle versions and, and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of did everything, which really looking back has just been absolutely invaluable experience for now running my own thing. Um, but yeah, so I moved back to do that and I spent a full year there, um, August, mid August, 2009 until, um, mid-August, mid to end of August 2010 was how long I was over there. That's amazing. And so were you basically um, self-taught when you were trying to understand the content side of things, blogging, creating the website? Um, Did you have anybody who was kind of helping you or did you just spend your time researching and and getting your hands in and doing it? 
completely self-taught. Uh, th- that's actually where I found um, Moz and Distilled's blog posts and that sort of thing. So I, I just started reading and, and learning, and my, my parents instilled in me uh, uh, the, the importance of reading when I was younger. I actually remember telling my mom that reading was boring back in the day when she would tell me, I'd be like, I'm bored. And she's like, why don't you go read something? I was like, but reading's boring. Um, and now I read just everything. And, and yeah, that started um, then, and I, I just read as much as I could and put it into practice and saw what worked and didn't. Um, I'd been blogging for a bit of time at that point as well. Uh, I started blogging super early on. I mean, honestly, probably 2003, 2004, I started blogging. Um, so I've, I've been writing online and, and figuring out how to build an audience for a long time. Um, but when it came to how to do it for business and, you know, keyword research and, and that sort of thing, um, I, I learned it all that, that year. Yeah. And there's some, there's a little bit of magic that goes into something that's brand new to you also when you're learning the ropes and you get to do the research yourself. And it's just like this uncharted territory. And there's a big sense of accomplishment, I feel, when you're self-taught in different areas. Totally. And when you find something that you love, or that's just super interesting to you, um, that, that's really, really special. And I, I know a lot of people that haven't found that. And I feel very lucky to have found that in, um, you know, in digital marketing or just in business and entrepreneurship overall. Um, I'd be there at the community and, be, you know, be reading a, a blog post on my, you know, on my e-reader or whatever, um, you know, a saved article and people would be like, what are you reading? And I'd tell them, you know, they're reading like, you know, Derrida or some like, you know, some philosopher, you know, mm-hmm. and digging into these things. And I'm like studying about business, right? It was super, it was super interesting to me because that's where, because I saw that as being like an intersection of where like, you know, uh, the, the intellectual then meets the practical. Yeah, completely. Um, and I'm sure we'll dig into this a little bit when you talk about uh, launching Credo, but those two tie very, very closely together. Completely. Um, okay, so we're at, I think you said mid-August 2010. So where did you go after that point? So mid-August 2010, I actually moved um, to Philadelphia. I had met a woman over there in, in Europe. She's American. And she was moving back to, um, to the States to finish up her PhD at Temple. And so I moved back to Philadelphia um, with her. Um, and, and we ended up splitting up about a year later when I moved um, to New York. But um, yeah, so I, we moved to Philadelphia and uh, very end of August 2010. And within about four to six weeks, I had a job um, working for a small internet marketing agency um, based there in Philadelphia. In the and I was working on a site in the for-profit online education space. It was a lead generation website, um, which is very similar to what I'm doing now, um, building building links um, for them. So uh, yeah, it was me and, and two other guys um, working on the working on the team, and, and it was link building, and it was pre uh, Penguin, so there was a lot of um, not white hat link building. Let's put it that way. Oh, yeah. um, but I kind of I got my I got my hands I got my hands dirty and just absolutely fell in love with the industry and with um with with SEO at that time. And so with this, when you were learning the link building side of things and everything that goes into the agency life, because that's a lot different, um, you know, from working in house or focusing on one project at a time. Did you find that um, the three of you were learning a lot from each other? So you know, one person would research and share it, or did you feel like it was an independent uh, journey at this point? No, it was it was definitely the three of us working together. So the the two guys that I worked with are actually both still at Sierra Interactive, based out of Philly. Um, Ethan's there, and the other guy is, is in San Diego um, now, uh, still with still with Sierra. And we, I, I still say that we made like the ultimate the ultimate team. 
um, I, I would still love, I would love to work with those guys again. Like we, we our skills just really complemented each other. Like Ethan was super technical and, you know, geeky and could build all these awesome dashboards and automate stuff. And, you know, Ryan is super strategic and I'm, I'm able to, you know, get things done and communicate it and all that. So, um, yeah, we, we made a great, we made a great team and kind of fed off of each other for, I guess we only worked together for about six months. Um, but, uh, we, yeah, it was, it was an awesome, awesome time. Right. And there's something to be said for working with people that have complementary skill sets. Um, you know, everything just seems to flow much simpler when you have somebody who can handle things that maybe you're not so focused on. Totally. Okay. So you're at Sear. Um, now when you had chosen to move on, uh, where did you go after that and how was that transition? Um, yeah, so I was, I was never actually at Sear. I was working for this other agency and then those two guys went on to Sear. Um, after I that. gotcha. Yeah. Um, and then I, uh, decided to, so the, the story goes that, um, I, I had a, a, a vacation planned to Europe and, uh, we were going to Istanbul for a couple of days and then going to Switzerland, uh, to visit friends. And so this is, uh, March, 2011. And, um, my, my two coworkers had gotten to go to a conference in San Diego. It was like online marketing summit or something. If you remember that. Uh, mm-hmm. flashback. And uh, so they went to that. And but I already had this trip planned to Europe. And I saw that distilled was doing their first ever link love conference. I was like, well, I don't really want to go to San Diego. I'm, and I'm going to be in Europe anyways. So I asked my boss at that agency, I was like, hey, I'm going to be in Europe anyways, would y'all pay for me to go to this conference in London? All you'd have to pay for is flights for me from Geneva to London, hotel in London conference, and then flight back um, to Geneva. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. Like, that's way cheaper than the trip these guys just took to San Diego. Um, so, uh, he did that. And the day before I left for my trip, one of my coworkers was like, I joined Sear and, you know, and that was his last day. Um, and so the next day, that was Thursday, next day I, I flew to Europe and then I was in, um, I was in Switzerland and got a call or got a, got like a Skype call from my buddy, from my coworker who was still at the, the agency where we were working together. He was like, wanted to let you know, I joined Sear as well. I'm like, okay, I'm a team of one now. And then flew to, <laughs> flew to London and it was at that conference, you know, in London, people are like American and like, what are you doing here? And I told them, um, you know, kind of the, the story and whatever. And, uh, and it was at that conference that they announced that they were opening up a New York City office um, and that Tom Critchlow was going to be leading, was going to be leading the office. And I, part of me, part of my, my heart sunk because I was like, uh, like, I didn't love New York at the time. I was like, I don't really want to move to New York, but like, I would love to work for Distilled and would love, love, love to work for Tom. Um, and so, yeah, it was there that I, that I heard about it and I made connections there with, um, Will Critchlow and Duncan Morris and Tom, um, and basically pestered Tom until he gave me, um, a job interview. And then he hired me before he even had like a budget to hire people for the office. I love it. And the one thing I wanted to touch on is it was a pretty, it was a bold move when you had asked, Hey, can you, you know, pay my way to go here instead of to San Diego where everybody else was going. And that bold move really paid off. I mean, it led to connections, it led to opportunities, and it led to basically the next chapter, um, I think, of your life, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, you know, I, I think this is part of uh, why I always encourage people to be, you know, s- say yes to things, um, you know, know, know what your yeses are. And so like, you know, know the things that you love. So like, I, I love Europe, and I love going to visit Europe. And, you know, with, if the cards fall right, I would love to live over there again for an extended amount of time. Um, and so just going and doing like, you know, going and doing interesting things for me, you know, going on vacation and then, you know, this all kind of came together and kind of saying yes to those opportunities and just asking, right. There's no harm in, 
there's no harm in asking. The worst that's going to happen is you're going to be told no. But, um, yeah, I, I, I just kind of made, you know, made the case and it was great that it worked out that it was cheaper than what my coworkers had spent. And, um, you know, it just, he's like, you really want to take that in the middle of your vacation? I was like, uh, to go to this conference. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, it didn't, it didn't feel like taking a break from my vacation. I'm very much about like work life integration where, um, you know, you definitely need a break from the computer screen, but like, um, you know, work is such a big part of our lives that like it, it is a part of our, of our identity. Um, so, you know, you kind of just need to figure out how the two work together, you know, for you. Yeah. And I think, um, this is a little bit off topic, but you had kind of triggered a thought. Um, so there's a lot of the meshing of professional and personal, especially when you're in the consulting side. So when you are literally the person speaking to another and you're not working through a product or, you know, working through different sales teams, um, everything just kind of flows together and you have to be okay with understanding what works for you in the day and then figuring out how to work into that schedule. Yep. Yeah. That's so, that's so true. Okay, so now um, you are moving to New York City, correct? Yep, exactly. So I moved uh, to New York in June of 2011. Um, June 13, 2011 was a Monday. It was my first day um, at Distilled. Um, and it was, it was crazy because like, I, I couldn't even move into my, into my apartment that I had gotten you know, in Brooklyn um, until July 1. And so my first two days in New York, I actually stayed in a hotel and then Tom's apartment also wasn't ready for like another week. Um, and so he was staying at this Airbnb in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And he was like, I have a couch, just crash there. Um, so I crashed on the couch and I mean, Tom and I had like, you know, we barely knew each other at this point. He's like, just crash, like crash on my couch. Um, you know, and, and then, uh, and then once he moved into his place, he, he had a two bedroom place when he, when we first moved there and, he was like, you know, stay in my extra bedroom, like for that, you know, for that week. And like, we went to Ikea together and like helped him buy, like build <laughs> furniture and all that. And we're still like really, really, really good friends. Um, you know, and that kind of like bonded us together, but you know, this is just, you know, I, uh, and, and this just goes back to the the whole premise of your, um, uh, of your podcast. Like I, I, I didn't ask for permission to do it. Right. I was like, I like, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do it. Um, and I'm going to figure it out as I go. Right. Like I was ostensibly homeless for a couple of weeks. Cause like, Apartment in Philly didn't, you know, didn't exist anymore. Didn't have that anymore. You know, didn't have my apartment in New York yet and just kind of figured it out um, as I went. Yeah, it definitely teaches you to be scrappy and just take the route that isn't traditional, especially, I mean, if you really wanted the job and you were there, you would find a way to to basically survive until you moved into your place. And that's what you did. I love it. Yeah, totally. And it, it was, um, it, you know, it was, it was a bit of a crazy, a crazy time. And there was a lot of personal stuff going on in life as well. And Um, but it, uh, you know, it, it worked out, um, so well, and I'm really glad that I had, you know, I had that experience and, um, and then, yeah, being there in New York, uh, I never had my own apartment. I got my own apartment, which was awesome and getting to, you know, kind of kick that out and kind of live life on my own terms, um, you know, there, you know, being able to come and go and, um, you know, friends that were coming over, flying back to the States from Switzerland, if they, they often had layovers like at JFK or something. And, you know, they were trying to travel as cheap as possible because they were, you know, poor, poor hippies like me. And, you know, so they, they'd come and they'd crash on my couch. Right. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I was working a good job. So like I'd get to do cool things, like treat them to, you know, treat them to dinner or whatever and give them a free place to stay. And, um, uh, yeah, so I, I had my own, my own spot there, um, for that year. It was, it was really, really fun. 
Yeah. And it's nice to just have friends from all over and people who are coming to visit as well, because you get to hear their stories and what they've been up to and just check out how their life has been since you last talked to them. For sure. And, and New York is such a, is such an, is the epicenter of the world in a lot of ways, right? It's a true international city and everyone wants to come visit New York and people just randomly end up laying over there and whatever on flights going other places. So uh, you get to see, get to see a lot of, a lot of people. And that's, I mean, that's part of what I, what I fell in love uh, with about, about New York. Yeah, New York City, it it sounds and it is everything that you just mentioned. So I've only visited, I haven't spent extended uh, amounts of time in the city, but I feel like I would probably mentally combust if I actually lived in New York City, just from how <laughs> much, <laughs> just from all like, the simulation of the different people and the opportunities there. Um, so I, at some point in life, I think I'm going to try to live there for a short period of time. Totally. You know, it's, it's really interesting because people say that and you know, people go like, Oh my God, New York is so full on all the time. And I couldn't live there, you know, but most people, they see like Times Square and Wall Street and that sort of thing. And most, if you actually live in New York, you don't live in those areas uh, mm-hmm. for the most part. Right. I lived down in Brooklyn. Uh, first I was down in Crown Heights before it became cool. Um, and then I moved to Borm Hill and then Park Slope, which are like, you know, brownstones. Like, it's what you think of when you think of like classic quintessential Brooklyn. Right. And it was just super chill, you know, backyard barbecues, friends with backyards and riding my bike for loops in Prospect Park, which is uh, Brooklyn's version of um, Central Park, built by the same guy, designed by the same guy. And he says that he corrected all the wrongs that he, all the mistakes that he made with the, um, with Central Park, he corrected those when he made Prospect Park. Um, You know, so, so Brooklyn is very, is very, very livable, but you also kind of develop those uh, skills for coping with the, you know, with the craziness, like, you know, when I first moved there, I was just so overstimulated all the time, everything going on on the subway and whatever. Um, and then after a while, you just kind of learn to, to tune it out and, um, you know, not, not focus on it. And, um, you know, it's kind of a, kind of a survival mechanism, which is, is actually part of what I didn't love about living in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but, but you, you figure out the ways to make it, to make it, um, feasible for yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this leads me to my next question. So you're in New York City. Um, it's a whole new environment. There's lots of things going on. And you're also starting at a very, I- I'm assuming at the time, a pretty decent sized agency, which was a pretty big change from the three-person agency you're at before. Um, what was it like kind of moving into that and you know, having larger teams and getting acclimated to everything? Yeah, so it was, it was interesting. So the company I was at in Philadelphia was actually about 40 people. And we were working on the, that company's own website. So I was kind of in-house kind of agency. Um, and then moving to distilled was like true agency and distilled wasn't huge at the time. I was like number 37, 38, something like that. Um, and of course we were opening up a new office. So there are only five of us all except for Tom brand new to the company. And there was the Seattle office, which was growing like gangbusters and the London office, which was growing like gangbusters. And we were kind of our own little startup, um, within distilled. It was really, you know, even like a, a you know, I guess that's a medium sized company, 30 couple, 30 plus people, 40 people. Mm-hmm. Um, we were kind of our own startup and we had to figure out like office space and, you know, like marketing ourselves and doing events and getting, we had to get our own clients and, you know, all of that sort of thing. And it helped that some of the others would pass us, some of the other offices would pass us work. If they had too much work, they'd, you know, pass it to us. But, you know, within three months we had our own, um, all of our own clients. Um, and you know, we're, we're paying our bills, you know, we're, we're supporting ourselves, which is great, um, in, in New York. And we weren't being like a huge drain on, um, you know, the company, the company overall, um, you know, we just, we just hustled really, really, uh, really, really hard. Um, it was definitely, I felt like my career and my, um, you know, my, my life, I guess, just got kicked into overdrive just overnight with moving to New York, which 
Philly's not a slow city, but it's not New York. Um, New York is just so fast. So moving to New York and then this new job and new clients um, and all of that. And the learning curve was just super steep. And, and honestly, I just like, I just grabbed on and, and kind of took it for all that I could. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was the, my two and a half years in New York were two, two of the most intense years of my life. Um, but I learned, I learned so much, um, you know, and, and my skills really like is trial by fire. And I think distilled is, is fantastic at doing that. Um, I was reflecting yesterday on, how many of my old coworkers are either doing awesome things in awesome companies like at Etsy and Ookla and House, or how many of us are actually running our own companies? There are a lot of us that are running our own companies. Um, and a friend said that referred to distilled as SEO's Harvard Business School. Uh, <laughs> you know, it taught us how to like really like hustle and you know and, and build a business and you know and get things done. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I will I will always be indebted um, you know to those to those couple of years for you know for, for the rest of my career. Um, but yeah, it was, it was super fast and it's just a, it's just a roller coaster. I just hung on, um, you know, as, as much as possible. Do you think that it gave you a taste of being an entrepreneur and kind of lit the fire, um, for that feeling? Because you were, I mean, you're basically operating as an entrepreneur within the company and intrapreneur, I think is the correct term, right. um, yeah. helping yeah. with business, building teams. Yep. Do you think that's where it started for you? That was uh, a little bit of a catalyst. I think I've always wanted to kind of work for myself. Um, I, I was doing some like side consulting work when I was at distilled one summer in, in college, I, um, I worked as a, uh, as a painter. And then the next year I had about six weeks from, uh, it was actually six weeks from my first time in Switzerland until I went, I lived in Alaska for a summer. Um, I had about six weeks and I was like, well, I'm broke now after living in Europe for six months or for three, four months and had to make some money. So I actually, I just worked for myself and did some like freelance painting jobs. I had one during the day where I was doing uh, exterior painting and one at night where I was doing interior painting for some of my parents' friends. And um, so that really gave me a taste as well. And then, um, yeah, I, I started blogging when I was in, in Philadelphia and um, started getting some clients. And so that really got me started thinking about, you know, no one's telling me what to do and, and what not to do and what I can and can't do when I'm, you know, working with clients, whatever. I'm free to make my own decisions and make my own mistakes. And I, I loved, I loved that feeling. Um, so I think that really started to, to stoke it. Um, and then distilled was great about, you know, encouraging us to kind of follow our passions and, you know, and then share it with the world, right. Did a lot of blogging and a lot of speaking and, um, and that sort of thing. So they, they, uh, a lot of companies will be like, Nope, can't do that. Just do this thing. Um, and the moment I'm told just do this, um, I'm, I'm mentally checked out. Right. And distilled was like, no, do it, run with it. Like, you know what you need to do for your job take care of your clients, keep them around. Right. And I was growing my accounts and everything. And it was, you know, my clients were seeing success and, um, and it was great. And they were like, all right, go, you know, go do your thing. Be, you know, be blogging, whatever. I, I worked with Will Critchlow on to launch distilled you, um, which is their online training platform. And, um, I'd kind of had that idea a year or so before. And, um, Tom had actually had the same idea right around the same time. And Will had as well. And I think they had talked about it and we ended up, uh, shipping it uh, beginning of 2012, which was really fun and did a lot of work on that and kind of took the lead on that for a little bit um, with all the content and such. Um, so uh, yeah, it was, it, that kind of, uh, you know, showed me, um, you know, that I liked working on different things and launching, launching, you know, new parts of business or new businesses. Yeah. And I love that they were open to kind of pushing you towards following, you know, passions and things you really wanted to work on, because I feel like it's so stifling if you're within a company and you can't do that. 
And I feel like um, you can bring a lot of experience from the passions or other things you pursue, and that can actually influence your work in a good way with clients. You kind of need outside stimulation as well. Otherwise, you just stagnate. Yeah, completely. And and building that crew of people that you that you know and you trust and um, is is super important. Um, you know, and, and constantly, yeah, doing your own projects and you know what's working now, what's not, and um, you know, I'm I'm not about like I mean I, I find the theory interesting to an extent, but then um, you know I, I want to know like you know what are people actually testing, what are people actually doing, um, and, mm-hmm. and that's what's really valuable. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you're there for a period of time and what, uh, did you end up making the choice to move on? Uh, what was that choice like and where did you end up going after that? Yeah. So I, uh, so throughout that time I I did a little bit of consulting, um, like on the side from distilled. And then, um, I stopped doing that. I basically decided like, um, November, December of 2012 that, uh, I didn't need to be consulting. My my salary had grown, and I didn't really need the money at all. And uh, I I valued my time more than anything. And um, so I started like getting rid of you know rid of my clients, um, pass them on to other people, which is we we'll talk about in a bit. Is kind of where the the initial seeds of, of Credo were born. And um, uh, and I so I met my wife, my now wife, uh, about uh, about a month or two after that. So like mid January, 2013, I met Courtney and, um, and yeah, and I, I was, I was getting tired of the consultant life. Um, just the, just the grind of it and not really owning anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was kind of trying to figure out what to do and there was a chance to, to stay internal and work on distilled you. Um, but I, I really just wanted to like sink my teeth into something and try something new, like building a team and all that. And I got the chance, I was actually approached by Zillow at MozCon 2013 and um, this guy Kyle approached me and we had a conversation and, um, it was actually during that conversation that he was, he was hiring for, um, he'd been part of a startup that was acquired by Zillow and he was tasked with hiring an SEO manager for hot pads, um, which is another startup that was acquired by, that had been acquired by Zillow. And, um, he was like, are you interested? Like in that first 10 minute conversation, he's like, are you interested? <laughs> I was like, pretty happy where I'm at, dude. But you know, it's been a great conversation. Like, here's my info, whatever. And, uh, so that was like a Thursday and out in Seattle. And he called me up the next Tuesday where I was at work, right? I was at distilled and my phone rings and I pick it up. He goes, Hey, it's Kyle from Zillow. I'm like, what? He's like, I was serious about that job in San Francisco. Um, and I had never been to San Francisco at this point, by the way, mm-hmm. I had never been here. And he's like, I was serious about that job. If you're interested, we'd love to fly you out to interview. That is so bold of him. So bold. He's, he's still a, a good <laughs> friend of mine. He's now doing, launching his own company as well. Um, and I'm like, Whoa, like, Oh, let me, let me think about it and I'll, you know, I'll call you back. Um, and yeah, I was talking about it with Courtney that night and she's like, what's the worst that could happen? Like, do it, like go interview. Why not? Um, and she's like, what are the, the chances will happen? I was like, Oh, 10% maybe. Um, and they flew me out and I interviewed and, uh, it was like eight hours of interview and their chief marketing officer who ended up becoming my boss two months after I joined because Kyle left the company, uh, flew down from Seattle to interview me and, um, you know, went through all these interviews and, um, and the, the CMO was like, uh, her name's Amy, Amy Batinsky. She's just a phenomenal professional, phenomenal person. And she was like, so at the end of that, like remember, end of eight hours, I was exhausted. She's like, so how would you feel about, you know, being hot patch SEO manager? And I looked her in the face and I went, Amy, if you offer me an SEO only position, I will not even consider it. But if you, you know, want me to build, what you need is you need a, you need a real marketing team here. If you want me to come in and build that out, uh, I, I will consider it. Um, she's like, okay, <laughs> that's, that's honest. Um, you know, and this was like, 
you know, definitely, uh, you know, a stretch for me, like, um, you know, I, and I couldn't believe that they, you know, they, they offered me the job and we went through some negotiations and I ended up, um, deciding, deciding to take it. So I started there mid October, 2013. I left distilled end of September, um, and started there and the job was out here in San Francisco, but I negotiated staying in New York for another couple months and kind of did the cross country commute thing. in those 10 weeks from New York, I, uh, life was insane. I, I was in Seattle eight times. I was in San, San Francisco four or five times, uh, had, uh, Thanksgiving in Virginia where Courtney, uh, she had met my parents, but first time, first time seeing my home, we, uh, we got engaged, we packed up our apartments and moved and put it all in a pod and moved it out to San Francisco or shipped it out to San Francisco. Um, and then went and had, had the holidays like with my family and then with hers. And then we ended up in, in San Francisco on uh, December 29th, 2013. Wow, that's a crazy couple of months. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, it didn't slow down then because we got we actually got married uh, a month later. Um, and then three months after that, we got our dog. And then uh, four months after that, or three months after that, we had our big, our big wedding. We had a super small wedding in January. And then mm-hmm. we had our big wedding in Alaska in July of that year, uh, where my wife is from. So it was just, it was just an insane, insane time in life. And Courtney got a new job and um, I was hiring, you know, a ton of people and, um, it was just, you know, once again, just kind of hanging on and enjoying the ride. Yeah. And I'm also noticing a trend with you in conferences and opportunities after hearing that if there's one more opportunity that happens at a conference, then we can definitely call it a trend. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so amidst all this, I, you speak a lot, but at this point in time, were you also, uh, mixing in a speaking schedule with all of that? Oh, I was. So 2013 was 2012, I, I got my first like real speaking gigs and did some like local meetups and, and that sort of thing. I think I spoke at a conference too. I may have spoken at Link Love um, that year. And then 2013 was, oh my gosh, 2013 was crazy. Um, I, I spoke like, I think I gave like 15 or so talks, like meetups and I spoke at a conference. And the, the craziest uh, stretch there was in, in late May, where mid to late May, where I spoke at uh, a conference in Miami where I did, I did two talks in one day on a Thursday. Friday hung out a bit, flew back to New York, spent that whole weekend. It was raining, luckily, pouring in Brooklyn, I remember, doing my deck to fly Sunday night to Boston. Um, spoke the next day at Search Love Distilled's Conference in Boston, um, and then flew back Tuesday night. And then actually the next Sunday, I was on a plane back to Boston and spoke at Techstars Founder Conference that Monday. Um, it was just like, and, and that's basically how that whole that whole year went. I, I spoke a ton. I had like a week and a half long kind of tour around the States in February of that year. Um, yeah, I spoke, I spoke a lot. Um, and honestly, like it was, it was hard. And, you know, I still had three clients, um, at distilled and I was managing people directly. Um, it was, you know, and I just met Courtney. So like, I didn't want to work a lot in the evenings. I wanted to hang out with my new girlfriend and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was hard. It was, it was really, really busy. And, and to this day, I don't know how I got it all done, but somehow I stayed sane and, you know, and, and did well. So, um, I think, I guess that's what matters, right? Yeah. And did you have any kind of fears that were creeping up amongst all of the different things? Like when you're juggling a lot of balls in the air, did you have any of that fear or were you just so on the move and constantly going that you didn't have a chance to reflect really on that? Uh, I was so on the move and constantly going, that I didn't really have a chance to reflect. Um, to be completely honest, I, uh, you know, I, I, I think I, I knew that there were some things that were off about like where, you know, what I was currently doing and, you know, or, or like my, you know, I, I wasn't loving consulting at the time. And, um, yeah, so, you know, there, there was some of that. And so I started, you know, just saying, 
you know, saying yes to things that I knew that I should do. And that was my year of yes, just saying yes to everything. Um, and then from that, I kind of learned a lot about myself and, you know, last couple of years, I've been a lot better about saying no to things, but, mm-hmm. um, that was, that was a full on year. That's for sure. Yeah. And I think we need that year of yes, or that period of time of yes, because we can't really earn the right to say no until we completely immerse ourselves and figure out what's out there for us. Totally. Or you just be saying yes to the, to the wrong things, right? Like I, I do enjoy, I really enjoy getting up in front of people and speaking, but like, I, I procrastinate on putting together my deck and my presentations. Like I, I don't like creating my presentations. Um, you know, so I've, I've kind of learned to, to, I, I'm a big believer in kind of optimizing your life towards the things that, you know, make you feel alive as opposed to things that you feel like you're supposed to do. And there are always going to be those things that you have to do that you don't love, but you know, l- less of that and more of what you love. Yeah, for sure. Um, so at this point you are finally in San Francisco, you're going through, you have the wedding and all of the activities around that. Did it take you a long time to kind of get ingrained and acclimated in the San Francisco community, uh, with entrepreneurs and other people there, or did you feel like it was pretty, pretty simple? No. So San Francisco has been tough, um, for that. It was a lot easier in New York just because I was, you know, working for this, you know, new office of this company and, you know, we were kind of a startup and, you know, our startup within the company and just, you know, hustling and everyone working together. And then when I joined, uh, when I joined hot pads, which is owned by Zillow, um, you know, working for a publicly traded company and all that, like, um, you know, uh, acquired, you know, companies aren't hustling as much as they were when they hadn't been acquired. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah. And I, I didn't like, I was so busy just with personal life things. I didn't really make a big effort to meet a lot of people in San Francisco. I went to some meetups, but like, I was exhausted, right? Like I had a, you know, we had an eight to 16 week old dog, um, you know, like first half of that year. And, um, you know, he was just, he was a lot of work and, um, yeah, planning a wedding and, um, it was super busy. So I actually didn't really start like meeting many people in like kind of the tech and like met some, but like in the tech and entrepreneurship world, um, until about six, seven months ago now when I started doing my own thing. Um, so yeah, it's actually, it's, it's a very different sort of community out here. New York is very like, you know, yeah, come meet my friend and whatever. And in San Francisco, people, I think, guard their community, their communities and their networks a lot closer mm-hmm. just because there are so many people out here that are just like, just here to make a buck. Right. Um, and so, you know, your word is your word is your bond. You make a bad introduction and, you know, you at least burn the bridge with that person making introductions, if not like hurt your own reputation. So um, that's been that's been a challenge for sure. Yeah, I feel like that sentiment is the same down here in Los Angeles, um, in somewhat the same capacity with trust and, you know, working into circles and networking with people. Um, It just seems like the West Coast is a little bit more or certain parts of the West Coast are a little bit more difficult than the East Coast, which is uh, very surprising, actually. What what do you think it is in, in LA? Is it different from what I described up here? Um, it's slightly different. So people are overtly friendly in Los Angeles, like super, super friendly. Um, so it feels as if you're building that trust and rapport with them, but it's still very hard to, um, work and gain friendships in their, uh, circle of trust. So I feel like, and from what you say for San Francisco, it's a little bit harder to initially, um, get in that circle to begin with, but with LA, it's kind of like, you have all these little tentacles of, of groups and people and friends, but you still don't feel like you have um, you know, the bond with that specific group, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, I think it's, I think it's similar, similar here. I felt, I felt the same way where like, it's easy to know a lot of people and be able to direct message them on Twitter or whatever. Right. But like actually the, Hey, we're having a party, like, you know, having a launch party, come out to this or whatever. Like that's, yeah. that's very different. Yeah, it is. 
Um, okay. So you're at your new job. Um, you're getting acclimated. You're working within the team. How was the process with that and what was working there like? Uh, it's a great, it's a great question. It was, it was a ride. Um, that, let me, let me put it that way. It was, um, I, I learned a ton, um, basically from, so joined in October, 2013 and by, uh, October, 2014, I had, uh, I was directly managing seven people. So I had a team of eight, um, SEO content, email, PR, link building. Um, and so basically went from being a, you know, doing all the things myself, when I first started for a couple months to just, you know, being full on a manager um, and, and kind of, you know, keeping greasing the wheels and, and breaking down roadblocks for my, for my team and really, you know, going to bat for them to get the resources that we, you know, that we needed. Um, and we saw incredible growth and they're still seeing incredible growth um, from that, from that heavy investment. Um, but it was, you know, it was, it was very, it was, uh, I learned a lot. It was very challenging, um, you know, but I hired some great people and had a great team and, um, you know, we, we did a lot of really cool, really cool stuff and it was great to just feel that, feel that ownership of it. Um, so I was able to hire that team and I was also able to get a, um, uh, lobby for, to get some dedicated growth engineers, um, mm-hmm. that would just work on growth related projects, SEO, email, that sort of thing. And was able to, you know, help with hiring those and then kind of was acting as the PM for that, getting, um, you know, getting stuff worked on. And, um, yeah, so I learned, you know, I learned a ton um, in that, in that whole, uh, in that whole time. Um, you know, it was, it was also like really challenging, um, personally, just some of the, um, uh, some of the personalities internally, um, were, were kind of difficult. Um, and I had a really hard time, um, personally, but, um, it was, it was just a really good, uh, like growing up experience. Like, I feel like I became a professional and an adult during that time. Mm-hmm. And was this your first time really building and managing a team of that caliber in-house or did you do that um, in some capacity at the agency? Um, no, I, I had some people that I directly managed at Distilled and I got to, and I did hire some people there and, you know, like more junior people and, and teaching them and, and all that. Um, but this is the first time that it was like, it was me, right. And me owning it, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it really like actually being given that ownership as opposed to like taking the ownership actually being given it and being told like, this is what you got to do. Uh, you know, and I have a, I had a fantastic mentor in Amy and, you know, she really helped me out, um, a ton, um, you know, and, and taught me, taught me a lot. Um, but, uh, yeah, this was the first time that I really had, had ownership of it and it's, man, hiring, hiring and training and getting people to work together is, it's hard. It's really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, uh, you know, it was very much a, a learning, a learning experience for me. And I'm, I'm super glad that I, you know, that I had it and kind of had to figure out how to get things, um, how to get things done and, and how to, you know, how to manage people. Well, I made a lot of, you know, manager mistakes and I think I did some things right as well. And, um, yeah, it was, it was great. So were there any instances where, um, you know, you really wanted to get something done, you really had a good feeling about it. You had the data to support it. And you basically had to take the reins and not necessarily have permission to move forward with the project or were they pretty lenient with you taking control of your projects? Uh, yeah, so I probably did too much of not asking for permission to be totally honest. Um, there are, there are definitely things that like, uh, you know, I wanted, I wanted to get done and just kind of shipped it. Um, there, you know, I, I had to learn how to be, how to figure out how to be kind of, kind of scrappy. Um, like we, so one example is we, I mean, I, I had a marketing budget, right? So I had money to spend. Um, and Amy was great at, at trusting me to, you know, use it wisely. 
and um, we were producing this content, like these maps of um, of like mapping stuff in different cities and writing blog posts around it and such. And because uh, Hotpads was the first map-based housing search engine on the internet back in 2007. Um, so it was a big part of our marketing and, um, we, uh, my, my content manager wanted to build out these maps of like, you know, mapping like Presbyterian churches in San Francisco, for example. And so we actually mm-hmm. went and hired this engineer on, um, pre- like freelance developer. I think we used like Odesk or something like that. Um, and hired him to build us out a tool in Google sheets, um, using the, um, the yellow pages API. So, you know, like I, I wasn't going to get engineering resources like from engineers at Hotpads. It was going to take us, you know, two to three to four months to be able to get it done. So I was like, screw it. I'll pay, I'll pay this guy to do it. And it ended up costing us $50 and we had it done within 24 hours. Holy um, crap. Yeah. So we just, we just got it done. Um, you know, I think this still taught me a lot about that. And I, I would have built it myself. I definitely could have. But, you know, it was one of those points of, learn, of realizing like, nope, I have much bigger fish to fry than building out building out this tool. And the best way I can support my team right now is like, actually letting them take ownership of this and, and helping them, you know, hire and, you know, doing the brief, but like letting them own it. And then I'm free to do other things. Yeah. And there's definitely something to be said for just taking the reins and, you know, not needing permission. And then if you have to ask for forgiveness later, I feel like there's a lot of instances of that in my life and I'm sure everybody experiences that. Yeah, totally. It's uh, it's, it, it creates some, some, sometimes it creates more problems um, than doing it the other way, but you also end up getting, um, getting a lot more, getting a lot more done. Um, and you know, I, I think those of us that, that hate asking for permission, um, become well-suited to being an entrepreneur because you have no one telling you you can't do something. Exactly. I agree with that sentiment. 100%. <laughs> okay. So you're at hot pads. Um, what was the transition out of there? And at what point did you decide that that was the right move? Yeah, so I moved over myself and, and a lot of my team moved over to Trulia um, in uh, beginning of May of 2015. Um, Trulia had been acquired by Zillow at the end of February, and we kind of like we our Zillow office here in San Francisco was moved into the Trulia offices here in San Francisco. These big, beautiful offices, um, and uh, basically there was a need for growth. Um, I mean. Hotpads all of a sudden became the number three consumer brand. Trulia was the number two, and they needed growth help. Um, and so a, a number of people on my team and I moved over um, to Trulia. And um, yeah, so I was there. I was focusing on um, SEO. I was back to doing a bit more of an individual contributor. I was kind of straddling the IC manager split again, which you know wasn't su- is, is really hard. Um, and I wasn't super jazzed on that. But you know, SEO and email and working with the content teams and product teams and and all of that and learned a lot about working within a big, within a big company and also realized that I'm very bad at it. Um, and I don't, I don't enjoy working, working for a big, for a big company where you can't just like, can't just go do things. It was like, no, you have to talk to this team and get in their queue and whatever. I'm like, that's, that's terrible. Like I, I don't like that. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so I moved over there and, um, in May of 2015 and was there for about five months. Okay, cool. And so you transitioned out and I feel like this is where the conversation is going to get really good because there's a lot of nuggets that I think we're going to glean from this. Um, And before we go into your next step, I just want to mention that uh, John wrote a really good post. I think it was last week about side projects. So I suggest after you listen to this uh, podcast to go take a look at that post and I'll put it down in the show notes as well, because it'll all make sense when you hear the next part of his story. Sure. So, uh, I guess it really starts in sep- 
September of this past year where um, there, there had been some challenges in the transition over to Trulia. It didn't go as smoothly as I had hoped um, that it would. And um, I wasn't super happy. And, uh, and then I went on vacation. My wife and I went to Europe uh, for two and a half weeks, a long planned vacation. We planned it in like January and uh, did two and a half weeks where we went to Amsterdam. Where did we go? Amsterdam, Cinque Terre, Chamonix in France, did some like rock climbing and paragliding and stuff. Then we went to Switzerland where I lived and then we went to Paris for four days. Um, and it was laying on, I was, I was thinking like, I like, I'm not super happy. What am I going to do? Kind of just thinking through stuff and, you know, wanted to take that time to, and I was, I was kind of sick as well. I was like, just wanted to take that time just to like physically heal and then also kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And I was, I was laying on, once I got over jet lag, then we were in, um, the Italian Riviera at Cinque Terre and was laying on the beach and Danny Tim Ferriss started rereading the four hour work week. And was like, oh, this is exactly what I want to do. And uh, <laughs> kind of started game planning out like how I kind of how I made my escape to be, com- to be completely frank about it. And um, kind of set forth a bit of a plan and, and was like, all right, like if I do this, then I can leave at this time and, you know, do this thing. And I, I had this business going at the time. It was called Hire Gun. Now it's called Credo. We can get into that too. Uh, trademark issues, you know, not asking permission. Um, <laughs> but uh kind of planned it, like planned it out and then, um, kind of forgot about it. We got busy traveling and it was, it was a freaking awesome vacation. Um, and two days before we, we were about to come back, I've, I've heard that when you go on vacation, the first like five days are spent kind of winding down and getting into vacation mode. And then about two days before you come back from vacation, then you start working, start thinking about work again. Right. Um, so if you take a two weekend and like full work week vacation, you actually get two days of real vacation. Um, mm-hmm. so this was 17 days. So it was a long time. I didn't check email. So it was like completely relaxed. Um, but then about two days before, so it was like Saturday or something. Um, and I was like, "Ugh!" I told my wife, I was looking, I looked at her one morning as we were in our, our, in our apartment in Paris about to go out and was like, I just, I don't want to go back. Like, I don't want to go back to work. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then we, you know, went out and had a great day in Paris and, um, and then came back and flew back in on that Sunday. And the next day was September 28th. And I got back in and, I was just super chill, super relaxed. And those people who know me, I, I can be intense sometimes. And um, I, my, my VP then, uh, so I got a new boss about two weeks before I left on vacation. And she was like, great to see you again. And then my VP like sent me a, uh, a meeting invite and was like, um, let's catch up for like two thirds of the afternoon and put a, a conference room on the seventh floor. And we sat on the third and basically long story short, I got laid off. They had rejiggered some things internally and moved all growth onto their consumer team. And basically there wasn't a need for my position. Um, mm-hmm. And so they, they laid me off and uh, it was a little bit of a shock at first, like a couple of minutes, I was like, all right, so what are you going to give me? Right? Like, aren't you supposed to give me a severance or something? And so like, I was kind of a jerk a little bit, um, but it was like, all right, like this happened, um, you know, and I, I wasn't going to like campaign and if I didn't feel wrong or something like that. I was like, well, okay. And um told my wife about it that night and she's like, she's super understanding. She's like, you know, a bit of a shock obviously, but she's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I've been wanting to double down on higher gun. Like, I think this is my chance. And so got up, woke up the next day and got straight into it. Um, I, I, I had had some interviews and, um, like with other companies and was actually offered a couple of director of marketing positions within two weeks of, um, of leaving and had some agencies that wanted to hire me, like well-known agencies, friends own them, like great agencies. And I was like, Every time I thought about going back to work for someone, I just got this pit in my stomach. I was like, Ugh, I just don't want to work for someone. Like, I'm so sick of working for someone and being told I can't do something. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so finally, I just decided to listen to myself and uh, and just leaned in um, to to my to my company. Yeah, and the whole uh, part about being physically ill, getting the knot in your stomach—that's an actual that will actually happen. Um, and I suggest because for a long time, when it comes to stress or not liking the work that you're doing, over time you'll start to feel it, and you really have to listen to your body and your mind and just you know figure out your game plan at that point because your body is trying to tell you something, and it's very very important. Yeah, totally. It's a uh, having a having a job is. Um, and I, I think I, I only came to realize this after I got laid off, like it's a false sense of security. Um, you mm-hmm. know, you, you can be fired. You can, someone, if you're working for someone else, someone has the power to all of a sudden deprive you of your livelihood. Yeah. And, they do, and it's- that sucks. And I, I was like, oh, yeah, I was like, no, this is, this is, this is not the way it should be. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want this. I don't want someone to have that power over me like ever again. Yeah. And so when you had left, um, I'm, there's probably a lot of financial fear or maybe a little bit of financial fear that comes with that, where you're unexpectedly, you know, leaving one place and then you really want to want to continue building, um, you know, a business that you have. Did you have any amount of money saved up at that point in time or did you go into it, um, you know, not really expecting that to happen? Um, I had, we had some money saved up. Um, my wife works as well and makes, draws a great salary and um, but it was definitely a like, so, and, and I mean, the great thing about getting laid off is they give you severance. Um, so I, they were, they were very generous to me. And, and basically I had that instantly gave me a few months of financial runway, like without having to dip into savings at all. Um, which was, which is just a huge blessing, huge, huge, huge blessing. And, um, you know, they, they took, they took care of me, um, for sure. And, um, and basically, so I had that amount of time, three months to decide, what I wanted to do and basically decided that I wanted to work on higher gun. It was called higher gun at the time now credo. And, um, and in order to do that, I wanted to bootstrap it. I didn't want to take investment. And so I also needed to prove that I could make money. Um, so I went and within, uh, three weeks of being laid off, I had signed my first consulting client and basically from end of December until, or end of, sorry, end of October, 2015 until, uh, beginning of January or middle of January, 2016, um, I made half of my Trulia salary that the salary I would have made in a year at Trulia. I made half of that in about two and a half months. Oh, snap. So it was like, it was huge, right? I picked up some awesome clients, uh, made awesome money and was like, okay, then like this gives me runaway through the end of May. Um, this is fantastic. And so for the last few months, I've just been focusing on, um, on my company, on, on my software company. And, um, yeah. So that was, you know, that was awesome. I kind of proved that like I could do it and I still have people like, you know, wanting to work with me. And uh, you know, even recently I picked up a couple of other like consulting, um, consulting gigs that are, you know, that are paying the bills and, um, you know, we've kept the lights on, like haven't felt a lifestyle change at all. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's a great thing about having a marketable skill. Like I can, I can go and I can make great money consulting when I need to, um, you know, but I'm also kind of trying to diversify my income streams and software is like my long-term, long-term play. Um, but I can also consult short term in order to kind of finance that dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh layering in a way where, you know, you find a couple of different avenues of income, like you had mentioned, and it makes it a little bit easier when you're really pushing forward to build your long-term goals. Cause you don't have to make decisions, you know, according to the fear of money being taken away or the fear of not making what you need to. Definitely. Yeah. So now I'm like, I'm doing some consulting with some, with some clients, 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm getting into more of like management, marketing, management, consulting, which is what I really want to do. Like, I don't want to be doing SEO audits and such anymore and mm-hmm. doing some like coaching with, uh, like agency owners and marketers. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you know, software company pays me a little bit. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's great to kind of have that. It's just, it's freedom is what it is. Like it's freedom to live life on my own terms. Mm-hmm. And did you find that there were a lot of new skills uh, that you had to acquire when you were building uh, Hiregun and then Credo that you didn't have to use in the past? And were there any really unexpected things that popped up that you had to learn how to deal with? Uh, so it's been it's been really nice to realize that I do still love writing code and I love building things like front end stuff. Um, I've been doing a lot of that and it's really it's really fun. I've also realized I'm really bad at back end stuff and I really don't enjoy that. Um, but then just the like setting up a legal entity and you know, and all of that has been a huge learning curve. It's been, it's been great. Um, you know, taking a lot to, you know, business bank accounts and bookkeeping and accounting and all of those things has been, has been really interesting. And, um, yeah. And then it was something that came up that I totally didn't expect was day before Thanksgiving last year, I was served with a cease and desist that I was uh, infringing on someone else's trademark, um, with the name hire gun. And, uh, I basically negotiated two and a half months until I had to be rebranded. So, wasn't expecting that, but I uh, I rebranded my company middle of January um, of this uh, of this year. So um, yeah, and it, it wasn't that bad, um, you know, because it's still obviously super early days, and would rather you know have done it then as opposed to like two years from now. Um, but that definitely taught me you know some pretty pretty big pretty big lessons. But honestly, like looking back, I wouldn't have done it any differently. Yeah, the rebrand turned out fantastic. So I think yeah. everything worked out in your favor. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I've only had good good comments about it. So um, it's a it's it's a name that I feel very comfortable and proud to build long term. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of us who are building companies um, and going through you know a lot of the the random uh, situations like you experienced with the trademark issue, do you have? Um, like, what is a typical week like for you? Do you still have speaking that's sprinkled in here and there? Um, you know, are you doing along with your consulting? Are you fitting that into your weekly schedule? How do you manage that? Yeah, every now and again, I do some speaking. I spoke at Salt Lake City's uh, search marketing group in February, flew out there for two days, and but also like worked with a couple of, of agencies and consultants that are on Credo. And, um, you know, so that was, that was definitely a, a work trip. I've been doing less consulting the, or less, uh, less speaking these days, just because I'm so focused on building the credo product. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, uh, I'm not a morning person, but I'm super, uh, super productive in the morning. If I can get up, make coffee and just get straight into it. Right. So basically just like trick my body, like, Nope, no other options, just do work. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I get up and I, I do that and I can, I can stay focused for a weirdly long amount of time. Um, you know, some people, when they work from home, they're turning on the TV and doing the dishes and getting distracted. Like, you know, I have dishes sitting all over the place right now. Um, you know, I, and I, I'm very guilty of working just straight through lunch, not even thinking about it, right? Because I'm just in the I'm in the mode, right? I'm in I'm on the maker schedule. I'm just have hours. Um, but I've also learned, you know, it, sometimes I have to do phone calls, right? Um, and so I like to schedule those when I can uh, for the morning um, or, or in the morning. So I kind of batch them there. So then I have the whole afternoon free to go to a coffee shop and focus, and it's not broken up into you know, meetings and such as well. Um, and then I, I reserve Wednesdays, um, are really my, like my making time. Like all I do is, is build things, build features. Um, and I take every Friday afternoon off, actually, it's something my, my therapist told me to do. Um, it's been mm-hmm. super, super good, you know, for my, um, kind of my emotional well-being. 
Um, yeah, so uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of learning like when I'm productive and when I'm not. And, you know, if I have too much caffeine, I'm not. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, never want to be hungover because when you're a, an entrepreneur and working for yourself, if you're hungover and you lose your productivity, like it, oh my it's, God, it's I a know. awful feeling, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so do you, uh, you mentioned coffee shops uh, and things of that nature. Do you have any fun ritual or something you do when you really need to pull yourself um, heads down from work and you just need to have a mindset shift, whether that's, you know, working on something creative or just shutting off work completely for a while? Um, I mean, I, I think there's a, I mean, there's a couple of things in there, but if I, if I need to shift into something, well, first of all, like I, one of the interesting things about running your own business is like that everything needs to be done all the time. Right. And so mm-hmm. I kind of go with whatever, like I'm in the mood to do at that point. Right. Cause I'm not like, I have to hit this deadline, like boss set this deadline. I have to hit it. Right. Like if a release slips a week because like, I haven't been able to get like the work done, like that's fine. Um, you know, like sometimes I'll run into periods where I'll have a day where I'm just writing and I'm just in the mood to write. And I rock out like five blog posts in that, in that day. Right. Um, or in a morning. Um, so I, I more so go with that, like, uh, so, so I don't try to force myself into another mindset where like, Oh, I really need to do some writing right now. Um, because I, I hate like having to do that. And I hate like having to do things that I'm not in the mood for. Um, mm-hmm. and that's part of working for myself that I can work on whatever I want to work on and what I think needs to be worked on. Um, as yeah. far as like shifting out of work mode, uh, I, I've tried to keep actually the same schedule as when I was working, um, working for someone, um, where I like, I get up about 8am every day. I take a shower about nine 30, um, you know, do work. Um, and then about four thirty between four 30 and five 30 in the evening, whenever my dog is ready to go, he comes and basically is a pain and closes my laptop for me usually, um, with his nose <laughs> and, uh, we go to the dog park and, um, you know, there for about an hour. And that kind of gives me the space between like work and, and personal life. And, you know, he sees his friends and I see my friends and, um, it's a, it's a great way to kind of unwind after the day. Sometimes we go to the beach, but you know, 99% of the time we go, um, uh, go to the dog park. That's a couple blocks from our apartment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's just something about, uh, I have a dog as well. So there's something about hanging out with the dog and just watching them, you know, run around and have fun. That's really mentally calming for me at least. Totally. Yeah. And, and even just having them around, like I know yours gets on the couch. Mine doesn't get on the couch, but like he's laying at my feet right now playing with his ball. Um, you know, he's Aww. a 90 pound black lab. Like it's just, it's just, he's my buddy, right? He's fun to have around. I call it my co-founder. I say he's the fun one, um, <laughs> which is probably true, but, um, yeah, it's, it's nice. <laughs> so do you have, um, one thing I wanted to touch on, it's an underlying theme mm-hmm. and I found that everybody I talked to has something that follows them, um, through each job or each endeavor that they take on. So for instance, mine is storytelling everything from marketing to this podcast to, you know, content creation all has to do with story. Do you have a particular theme that you feel has followed you from place to place that really, really lights your fire? Uh, so I've, I've mentioned this word a couple times already in this conversation. Um, and to me, the theme is freedom. Um, it's the freedom to like having the freedom to make my own, make my own decisions to live life on my own terms. Uh, you know, if I, if I want to work really hard and make a lot of money, I can do that. And if I don't need to, and I don't want to, I don't have to, um, you know, obviously still being like, still being able to pay the bills and, you know, and then all of that, um, you know, if I want to travel, then like I can, um, like I'm going to Mexico next week for four days with some guys that are on, that are on credo. Right. And, um, you know, I can, I can just spend the money on that, um, you know, uh, for my business, um, on that. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, I like, I like having that freedom to kind of make, you know, make the own call, make my own, uh, make my own calls. Um, and that's, that, that's what keeps, you know, driving me and, and the thought of even now, like even, even more so than that day after, uh, you know, I got laid off even more so now, like thinking about going back to work from, for someone, I'm like, uh, uh-uh, uh, like no way, <laughs> do not want, do not want to do. And, um, yeah, so like that freedom is so, is so valuable to me. I've come to realize, um, that that's like, that's the thing that drives me to work really hard to do well is just being able to call my own shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was actually going to ask what your favorite thing about building your own life uh, and living by your own rules is, but I'm pretty sure you just answered that. Yeah. I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> freedom. It's, yeah. it's an awesome theme. Yeah. So I have um, four mantra words for you that I've chosen, and I want to know which of these do you feel got you to where you are right now, and which of these uh, is a word that you want to build upon. So the four words are boldness, adaptability, fearlessness, and confidence. That's a great. That's a great question, and uh, it's one that I've been thinking about since you um, kind of prepped me for this, and. I, I'd have to say that the uh, the one that got me to where I am now, I would have to say is fearlessness. Um, I've, I've kind of always believed that I can't like ever screw anything up too badly. Um, and if something does screw up, then it's recoverable. Um, and so, and maybe this was just part of being young and being naive, like quitting my job and moving back to Europe. Fearless, crazy, all the above. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I've, I've like not been afraid to go and do new things and take on, um, take on new challenges. Um, you know, I'm, I'm able to, I've, been able to make it work, you know, so far and, you know, very lucky to have a supportive family and, and all that. Um, and I, I think the one that I want to build upon is, would be boldness, um, which is a, which is a great kind of a, a great term for, um, you know, not necessarily like speaking, like just speaking your mind. Cause I think that can often just have a freewheeling, like, you know, you don't really think about it. You just like, you know, say whatever. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but boldness in terms of like, like I, I used to be very much a people pleaser and I want people to think, I still want people to think well of me and, you know, I don't want to disappoint anyone. I hate being disappointed. I don't want to disappoint anyone else. Um, you know, but sometimes in business you have to make really hard decisions, um, you know, and saying like, yes, I'm going to do that or, or no, I'm not. Or like, here's a, like a, a funny, uh, kind of example of this is, uh, I was talking with some, um, developers about like helping me build awesome stuff for my product and, um, talk to this one. And, uh, they called me yesterday to kind of follow up. They're like, we been waiting on this thing. And I was like, you know what? I found someone like, thank you for calling. But like, I figured out how to get it done. And I actually got most of it done last week. And, you know, thank you for following up, but I'm good. Right. Um, and not waffling at all and being like, oh yeah, I've been meaning to get that to you. And then like never following up with them, just being like, nope, sorry. I figured out a different way to do it. And they're like, oh, great. Sounds good. Well, let us know how we can be of help in the future. Um, you know, so just that, just being willing to say that, you know, nope, this is what's going on. Thank you. You know. Yeah. And it's so, it's so awesome to get to that point though. I mean, that's such a good feeling to just, um, especially when you're leaving kind of the workforce and you're used to having to speak to people a certain way, um, you know, which it's always respectful no matter what it is, but just being able to definitively say no and not have to tinker around the subject is a really, really powerful feeling. Definitely. Yeah. And that, and, and just to, and to me, that brain space, it clears up is is so big um, where I don't have to be like, Oh, what did I tell this guy? Like, how do I like push him off again? And it's like, no, I, I can't do that. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just it, that, yeah, that, that 
peace of mind, that, that freedom to, you know, then my thoughts can focus on other things that are more important that are going to move my business forward as opposed to like trying to please people. And that's exhausting. Yeah, exactly. So living permissionless is all about building a life that you want. And a lot of our listeners, um, they may be in a position where they want to make a big change. They want to, you know, shift industries or they just don't have the support that they need. Mm -hmm. What's one piece of advice that you would give this person um, who really wants to take the leap, but they don't know how to take the first step? Yeah, totally. I mean, the not knowing how to take the first step part is, um, is, is hard. I, so one of the, I, I hate having regrets. And one of my biggest regrets from the last couple of years was not pulling the trigger myself to go out and do my own thing. Um, like I regret not doing it, not doing it sooner. Um, you know, so I was, I was pushed out. Uh, I didn't, I didn't take the, take the step, which there are a lot of people that just kind of took the, took their own step. People you talked with on this podcast have, you know, taken, taken their own steps. So I, I guess my, my best advice for someone who wants to take the leap, um, is just to start trying things. Um, you know, whether it's, uh, whether it's blogging or, um, you know, uh, consulting or, you know, or whatever, like we all have, um, you know, sellable skills, right. And figuring out what that, what that thing is. And then one of the biggest lessons that I've learned in business is, uh, it's from Dan Martell, who founded Clarity FM and a couple other startups and, you know, well-known Canadian entrepreneur, angel investor, like, um, you know, really nice guy. And his wife, Renee runs a, um, a digital marketing agency or a PR agency. And Renee is just absolutely fantastic. And, and one thing Dan told me a few years ago when I was interviewing him for my personal site was he's like, he, he said, ring that cash register. Like, if you're wanting to do something, like get someone to pay you for it, um, you know, and, and once they do that, then it like, it kind of snowballs from there and, you know, it almost gets addictive, right? It's like, Oh, if I can make five bucks, can I make like 50 bucks? Um, mm -hmm. and he's like, but you know, don't, don't ship something without knowing if people are going to pay you for it. Um, so, uh, like if, if you want to, you know, go out on your own and grow your own business, like find something that people are going to pay you for, um, you know, and then do it a few more times and then figure out if you can scale it and how you scale it. And, um, you know, you, you have to, you know, you have to try things. Like I try stuff all the time with my business that like, I don't know if it's going to work, but like, I'm going to try it. And if it doesn't work, I can always do something else. Um, you know, but it's, uh, it's constantly, constantly moving forward. It doesn't have to be these huge steps of like today I'm working for someone and now I'm not, now what am I going to do to make money? Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's crazy. Um, you know, find something that people will pay you for. Yeah. And I think, so before we go in the speed round, um, you actually circled back to the side project post that I had mentioned earlier. And I'd love to just chat about that for a little bit. Um, so you had, you were working on a lot of side pro projects and, um, you know, higher gun, which it was named at the time is the one that really stuck around that you kept working on, mm -hmm. but there's power in trying something and failing. And you, you literally will not know if something will work and could change your life until you actually, start taking a step to work on it. Yep. Um, so do you, do you want to kind of touch on any of the smaller projects that you've worked on or no kind of putting you on the spot? Uh, yeah. I mean, I can, I can touch briefly on them. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm a super outdoorsy person. My, you know, I love to love to ski and hike and camp and, um, rock climb and cycle and, you know, all, all the, all the, all the outdoors things. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, so I, I was like, Oh, it'd be really cool to have like a community for outdoors people. And so I started building it um, never ended up launching it. It was like outdoorscommunity.org was, uh, was the URL. I think I actually let that lapse. Um, but, uh, I started building it and basically learned how to build out like membership sites within WordPress, which is serving me super well now. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, you know, never ended up launching it because I had a really busy job and it kind of just fell, you know, fell to the wayside. And then I had another blog that 
started off being about cycling, about like single speed cycling because I have a single speed bike and uh, started writing about that and then realized I wasn't super passionate about that and then kind of pivoted that into another like topic basically around like, you know, like what's your single focus in life and wasn't super passionate about that either. And so kind of just like let that lapse. Right. But it was like, it kind of just got those juices flowing. I think that was on WordPress as well. And um, yeah. And so, you know, some of them I shipped, some of them I didn't, some lasted for a little while. Um, I had this idea back in the day where I was every day as my first year in, in Brooklyn, I was going to throw out one thing a day for 30 days. And I was going to take a picture of it. And I was going to post it online. Um, I think I made it three days. It was like, it might even be online. It's like, <laughs> it was like one thing a day .com or something like that. Um, and you know, it lasted like two or three days, but that got me in the mindset of like living more minimal and not having things that I don't need. Right. Um, cause I get very attached to things and, you know, learned over the years to how to kind of break those like emotional ties. Mm -hmm. um, those unnecessary emotional ties. And they're definitely very necessary emotional ties in our lives, but like those are unnecessary ones. Um, yeah. So like, you know, all of these have just taught me, you know, a lot and I've, I gained new skills, whether they're technical or, you know, just learning more about myself and what I, you know, what I'm actually interested in. So, uh, yeah, those are just some of the, some of the reasons I do it. I don't have any side projects right now. Um, just because I'm so busy building, yeah. you know, bu building my own thing. But, um, you know, I always wondered like, at what point will I like, one point I need to focus and you know what, like focus came when it was right. Um, I didn't try to force it. Yeah. And I really appreciate you sharing some of the things that you had worked on in the past, because it's nice for somebody, um, when they're listening to this to kind of get a glimpse behind, um, you know, someone who is successful, but what it really took and all the things that they tried or experimented with, um, because that's, that's how you find success in the long term. Definitely. Okay. Are you ready for the speed round? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So you can just answer very, very short answers for this. Uh, what's your favorite book or podcast or both? Uh, so I'm going to do two podcasts. Uh, favorite would have to be, it's one of two. It's either Tim Ferriss's podcast, Interviewing Interesting People, or um, Unemployable from, from Brian Clark, part of the Rainmaker Network. Uh, and then personal is, uh, is This American Life. Perfect. Uh, what are two badass songs that get you really pumped up when you just need to go? Sure. So the, the one, uh, and I listened to this song the day after, like the morning after I got laid off uh, last September. Um, it's, uh, it's lose yourself by Eminem. Um, where it's like, you only have one chance to flow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime go. Um, and that thing, that song, it brought me to tears. I was crying listening to Eminem. It was insane. Um, so, so that one, and when I really need to get pumped up, that's the one I listen to. And someday when I'm cool enough to have entrance music at a conference, um, I want that to be my song. Um, and then the second one that like really gets me ready to go. And this is more like when I'm out skiing or something like that and really just need to get amped up. Um, it's a song called killing in the name by rage against the machine. Oh, I love that song. Yeah. It just like when, when it hits, it's just, it's super, super powerful. It is for sure. Um, okay. Uh, last question. Who is somebody that you feel truly lives a permissionless life that you'd love to see interviewed on this podcast? Um, so they're obviously the, the, the one that I would love to see. Um, I just read his book is Richard Branson, uh, mm -hmm. a virgin, right? He's, he's awesome. Uh, someone like someone in the marketing space I'd love to see, um, is Sujin Patel. Um, Sujin's a great, great guy and great entrepreneur and launched a lot of interesting things. Um, and then just in the entrepreneurship space overall, either Tim Ferriss or Ramit Sethi, um, of I will teach you to be rich. You know what? This is the second time I've heard Richard Branson. So I feel like I just need to put a shout out there and be like, Hey, <laughs> Richard Branson, please come on my podcast. <laughs> I, I agree. I will, I will retweet, um, the heck out of that. And I think, uh, our mutual friend, Ethel Harlow is, uh, going to Necker Island this fall and you could ask her to ask him, uh, personally. 
Oh my God. I know that was such a, she won uh, like a bucket list um, competition or something. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Yeah. It's amazing. So get her to get, okay. her, get him on. <laughs> I'll be like, Hey, Hey, uh, I could be like, can you just ask him for me? You know, when he's on his Island doing all this cool stuff? Yes, please. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if anybody wants to connect with you either to chat or just, you know, ask you questions about your journey, what's the best uh, place or places to do that? Uh, so there, there are two great ways to do it. One is, um, on Twitter, it, my last name, Doherty, D-O-H-A-R-T-Y-J-F at Doherty J-F. Um, I'm on Twitter all the time. Direct messages are actually completely open. So if you want to DM me and I don't follow you, go for it. Um, and the second one is, is emailing me, John at getcredo, G-E-T-C-R-E-D-O.com. Um, gets me, gets me directly. And yeah, either one is totally fine. Awesome. Well, I'm so sad that it's time to end the podcast. I had such a great time uh, discussing things with you. I feel like I learned way more about you than I even knew before. Um, so thank you for being so candid and just sharing you know, your journey, success, and failure with everybody here. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, okay. So for anybody listening, we will, again, for the third time, have show notes underneath when I get around to adding them in. So anything that's mentioned here, you'll be able to go and stock. So I'll catch you on the next one. Thank you. And that's it for episode four. If you enjoyed the Permissionless podcast, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. And until then, I'll leave you with the Permissionless Manifesto. I dare you to stop asking for permission. I challenge you, you crazy creative or entrepreneur, to be bold, to take risks, to listen to your gut and remember that you have the ability to accomplish anything that you put your heart and mind to. I challenge you to be strong in the face of adversity and hardships and to keep pushing when the future looks unclear, to be adaptable, to build businesses, lives, and relationships that set your soul ablaze. I challenge you to ignite the entrepreneur in you or nourish the existing one to say yes to yourself and know that you can achieve your goals. You'll demolish the imaginary barriers keeping you from reaching your highest potential. I challenge you to live with fearlessness and confidence. I challenge you to live permissionless.